Section 23 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Harry Thomas Riley. Section 23. Book 25, Chapters 8 to 25. Chapter 8. Molly. Three Remedies. According to Homer, the most celebrated of all plants is that which, according to him, is known as molly among the gods. The discovery of it he attributes to Mercury, who was also the first to point out its uses as neutralizing the most potent spells of sorcery. At the present day, it is said, it grows in the vicinity of Lake Phineas and in Silene, a district of Arcadia. It answers the description given of it by Homer, having a round black root, about as large as an onion, and a leaf like that of the squill. There is no difficulty experienced in taking it up. The Greek writers have delineated it as having a yellow flower, while Homer, on the other hand, has spoken of it as white. I once met with a physician, a person extremely well acquainted with plants, who assured me that it is found growing in Italy as well, and that he would send me in a few days a specimen which had been dug up in Campania, with the greatest difficulty from a rocky soil. The root of it was thirty feet in length, and even then it was not entire, having been broken in the getting up. Chapter 9. The Dodecatheus, One Remedy The plant next in esteem to Molly is that called Dodecatheus, it being looked upon as under the especial tutelage of all the superior gods taken in water it is a cure they say for maladies of every kind the leaves of it seven in number and very similar to those of the lettuce spring from a yellow root chapter ten the peonia pentorobus or glycicide one remedy the plant known as peonia is the most ancient of them all it still retains the name of him who was the first to discover it being known also as the pentorobus by some and the glycicide by others. Indeed, this is one of the great difficulties attendant on forming an accurate knowledge of plants, that the same object has different names in different districts. It grows in umbrageous mountain localities, and puts forth a stem amid the leaves, some four fingers in height, at the summit of which are four or five heads resembling Greek nuts in appearance, enclosed in which there is a considerable quantity of seed of a red or black color. This plant is a preservative against the illusions practiced by the fauni in sleep. It is generally recommended to take it up at night, for if the woodpecker of Mars should perceive a person doing so, it will immediately attack his eyes in defense of the plant. Chapter 11. The Panassis Asclepian. Two Remedies. The Panassis, by its very name, gives assurance of a remedy for all diseases. There are numerous kinds of it, and the discovery of its properties has been attributed to the gods. One of these kinds is known by the additional name of Asclepian, in commemoration of the circumstance that Asclepius gave the name of Panacea to his daughter. The juice of it, as we have had occasion to remark already, coagulates like that of fennel giant. The root is covered with a thick rind of a salt flavor. After this plant has been taken up, it is a point religiously observed to fill the hole with various kinds of grain, 
a sort of expiation, as it were, to the earth. We have already stated, when speaking of the exotic productions, where and in what manner this juice is prepared, and what kind is the most esteemed. That which is imported from Macedonia is known as bucolicon, from the fact that the neat herds there are in the habit of collecting it as it spontaneously exudes. It evaporates, however, with the greatest rapidity. As to the other kinds, that more particularly is held in disesteem, which is black and soft, such being a proof, in fact, that it has been adulterated with wax. Chapter 12. The Panaces Heraclean. Three Remedies. A second kind of Panaces is known by the name of Heraclean, from the fact that it was first discovered by Hercules. Some persons, however, call it Heracleotic Origanum, or Wild Origanum, from its strong resemblance to the origanum of which we have already spoken. The root of it is good for nothing. Chapter 13. The Panaces Chironian. Four Remedies. A third kind of Panaces is surnamed Chironian, from him who first discovered it. The leaf is similar to that of Lapithum, except that it is larger and more hairy. The flower is of a golden color, and the root diminutive. It grows in rich, unctuous soils. The flower of this plant is extremely efficacious, hence it is that it is more generally used than the kinds previously mentioned. Chapter 14. The Panassis Centaurian, or Farnassian, Three Remedies. A fourth kind of Panassis, discovered also by Chiron, is known by the additional name of Centaurian. It is also called Farnassian, from King Farnassis, it being a matter in dispute whether it was really discovered by Chiron or by that prince. It is grown from seed, and the leaves of it are longer than those of the other kinds, and serrated at the edge. The root, which is odoriferous, is dried in the shade, and is used for imparting an aroma to wine. Some writers distinguish two varieties of this plant, the one with a smooth leaf, and the other of a more delicate form. Chapter 15. The Heraclean Sidarian Four Remedies. The Heraclean Sidarian is also another discovery of Hercules. The stem is thin, about four fingers in length, the flower red, and the leaves like those of coriander. It is found growing in the vicinity of lakes and rivers, and is extremely efficacious for the cure of all wounds made by iron. Chapter 16. The Ampelus Chironia, One Remedy. The Ampelus Chironia, also, which we have already mentioned, when speaking of the vines, is a discovery due to Chiron. We have spoken, too, on a previous occasion, of a plant, the discovery of which is attributed to Minerva. Chapter 17. Hyosiamus, known also as the Apollinaris or Altercum, five varieties of it, three remedies. To Hercules also is attributed the discovery of the plant known as the Apollinaris, and among the Arabians as the Altercum or Altercangenum. By the Greeks it is called Hyosiamus. There are several varieties of it. One of them, with a black seed, flowers bordering on purple, and a prickly stem, growing in Galatia. The common kind, again, is whiter, more shrub-like, and taller than the poppy. The seed of a third variety is similar to that of Irio in appearance, but they have, all of them, the effect of producing vertigo and insanity. A fourth kind, again, is soft, benignous, and more unctuous than the others. The seed of it is white, and it grows in maritime localities. 
it is this kind that medical men employ, as also that with a red seed. Sometimes, however, the white seed turns of a reddish color, if not sufficiently ripe when gathered, in which case it is rejected as unfit for use. Indeed, none of these plants are gathered until they are perfectly dry. Hyosiamus, like wine, has the property of flying to the head, and consequently of acting injuriously upon the mental faculties. The seed is either used in its natural state, or else the juice of it is extracted. The juice also of the stem and leaves is sometimes extracted, separately from the seed. The root is sometimes made use of, but the employment of this plant in any way for medical purposes is, in my opinion, highly dangerous. For it is a fact well ascertained that the leaves even will exercise a deleterious effect upon the mind, if more than four are taken at a time, though the ancients were of opinion that the leaves act as a febrifuge taken in wine. From the seed, as already stated, an oil is extracted, which, injected into the ears, deranges the intellect. It is a singular thing, but we find remedies mentioned for those who have taken this juice as though for a poison, while at the same time we find it prescribed as a potion among the various remedies. In this way, it is that experiments are multiplied without end, even to forcing the very poisons themselves to act as antidotes. Chapter 18. Linozostis, Parthenian, Hermupoa, or Mercurialis, two varieties of it, twenty-two remedies. Linozostis, or Parthenian, is a discovery attributed to Mercury. Hence it is that, among the Greeks, it is known as Hermupoa, by many, while among us it is universally known as Mercurialis. There are two varieties of this plant, the male and the female, the last possessing more decided properties than the other, and having a stem a cubit in height, and sometimes branchy at the summit, with leaves somewhat narrower than those of Osimum. The joints of the stem lie close together, and the axles are numerous. The seed hangs downwards, having the joints for its bases. In the female plant, the seed is very abundant, but in the male it is less so, lies closer to the joints, and is short and wreathed. In the female plant, the seed hangs more loosely, and is of a white color. The leaves of the male plant are swarthy, while those of the female are whiter. The root, which is made no use of, is very diminutive. Both of these plants grow in cultivated champagne localities. A marvelous property is mentioned as belonging to them. The male plant, they say, ensures the conception of male children. The female plant of females. A result which is ensured by drinking the juice in raisin wine the moment after conception, or by eating the leaves boiled with oil and salt or raw with vinegar. Some persons, again, boil the plant in a new earthen vessel with heliotropium and two or three ears of corn till it is thoroughly done, and say that the decoction should be taken in drink by the female, and the plant eaten for three days successively, the regimen being commenced the second day of menstruation. This done, on the fourth day she must take a bath, immediately after which the sexual congress must take place. Hippocrates has lavished marvelous encomiums upon these plants for the maladies of females, while at the present day no physician recognizes their utility for such purpose. 
it was his practice to employ them for affections of the uterus, in the form of a passery, in combination with honey, rose oil, oil of iris, or oil of lilies. He employed them also as an amenagogue, and for the purpose of bringing away the afterbirth, effects which are equally produced, according to him, by taking them in drink, or using them in the form of a fomentation. It was his practice also to inject the juice of these plants in cases of fetid odors of the ears, and then to wash the ear with old wine. The leaves also were used by him as a cataplasm for the abdomen, the fluxions of the eyes, strangury, and affections of the bladder. A decoction, too, of the plants is prescribed by him with frankincense and myrrh. For the purpose of relaxing the bowels, or in cases of fever, a handful of this plant is boiled down to one-half in two sextarii of water, the decoction being taken with salt and honey. If a pig's foot or a cock is boiled with it, it will be all the more beneficial. Some persons have been of opinion that as a purgative the two kinds of mercuriales ought to be used together, or else that a decoction should be made of the plant in combination with mallows. These plants act as a detergent upon the chest, and carry off the bilious secretions, but they are apt to be injurious to the stomach. We shall have to speak further of their properties on the appropriate occasions. Chapter 19. The Achilles, Sideritis, Panassis Heraclean Millifolium, or Scopiragiae, six varieties of it, three remedies. Achilles, too, the pupil of Chiron, discovered a plant which heals wounds, and which, as being his discovery, is known as the Achilles. It was by the aid of this plant, they say, that he cured Telephus. Other authorities, however, assert that he was the first to discover that verdigris is an extremely useful ingredient in plasters, and hence it is that he is sometimes represented in pictures as scraping with his sword the rust from off a spear into the wound of Telephus. Some, again, are of opinion that he made use of both remedies. By some persons, this plant is called Panassis Heraclean, by others, Sideritis, and by the people of her country, Millifolium. The stalk of it, they say, is a cubit in length, branchy, and covered from the bottom with leaves somewhat smaller than those of fennel. Other authorities, however, while admitting that this last plant is good for wounds, affirm that the genuine Achilles has a bluish stem a foot in length, destitute of branches, and elegantly clothed all over with isolated leaves of a round form. Others again maintain that it has a squared stem, that the heads of it are small and like those of whorehound, and that the leaves are similar to those of the Quercus. They say, too, that this last has the property of uniting the sinews when cut asunder. Another statement is that the Sideritis is a plant that grows on garden walls, and that it emits, when bruised, a fetid smell. That there is also another plant very similar to it, but with a whiter and more unctuous leaf, a more delicate stem, and mostly found growing in vineyards. They speak also of another Sideritis, with a stem two cubits in length, and diminutive branches of a triangular shape. The leaf, they say, resembles that of fern, and has a long footstalk, the seed being similar to that of beet. All these plants, it is said, are remarkably good for the treatment of wounds. The one with the largest leaf is known among us by the name of Scopiragiae, and is used for the cure of quinsy in swine. 
Chapter 20, the Teucrion, Hemionian, or Splenian, two remedies. At the same period also, Teucer discovered the Teucrian, a plant known to some as the Hemionian. It throws out thin, rush-like stems with diminutive leaves and grows in rugged, uncultivated spots. The taste of it is rough, and it never blossoms or produces seed. It is used for the cure of affections of the spleen, and it is generally understood that its properties were discovered in the following manner. The entrails of a victim having been placed upon this plant, it attached itself to the milt and entirely consumed it, a property to which it is indebted for the name of splenian, given to it by some. It is said, too, that swine which have fed upon the root of this plant are found to have no milt. Some authors give this name also to a ligneous plant with branches like those of hyssop, and a leaf resembling that of the bean. They say, too, that it should be gathered while in blossom, from which we may conclude that they entertain no doubt that it does blossom. That which grows on the mountains of Cilicia and Pisidia is more particularly praised by them. Chapter 21. Melampodium, Hellebore, or Veratrum. Three varieties of it the way in which it is gathered, and how the quality of it is tested. The repute of Melampus as being highly skilled in the arts of divination is universally known. This personage has given a name to one species of hellebore, known as the Melampodium. Some persons, however, attribute the discovery of this plant to a shepherd of that name, who remarked that his she-goats were violently purged after browsing upon it, and afterwards cured the daughters of Pretus of Madness by giving them the milk of these goats. It will be the best plan, therefore, to take this opportunity of treating of the several varieties of hellebore. The two principal kinds are the white and the black, though, according to most authorities, this difference exists in the root only. There are some authors, however, who assure us that the leaves of the black hellebore are similar to those of the plane tree, only darker, more diminutive, and more jagged at the edges, and who say that the white hellebore has leaves like those of beet when first shooting, though at the same time of a more swarthy color, with reddish veins on the underside. The stem in both kinds is ferulaceous, a palm in height, and covered with coats like those of the bulbs, the root, too, being fibrous like that of the onion. The black hellebore kills horses, oxen, and swine. Hence it is that those animals avoid it while they eat the white kind. The proper time, they say, for gathering this last is harvest. It grows upon Mount Eta in great abundance, and the best of all is that found upon one spot on that mountain in the vicinity of Pyra. The black hellebore is found growing everywhere, but the best is that of Mount Helicon, which is also equally celebrated for the qualities of its other plants. The white hellebore of Mount Eta is the most highly esteemed, that of Pontus occupying the second place, and the produce of Elea the third, which last, it is generally said, grows in the vineyards there. The fourth rank is held by the white hellebore of Mount Parnassus, though it is often adulterated with that of the neighboring districts of Etolia. Of these kinds, it is the black hellebore that is known as the melampodium. 
it is used in fumigations and for the purpose of purifying houses cattle too are sprinkled with it a certain form of prayer being repeated this last plant too is gathered with more numerous ceremonies than the other a circle is first traced around it with a sword after which the person about to cut it turns towards the east and offers up a prayer entreating permission of the gods to do so at the same time he observes whether an eagle is in sight for mostly while the plant is being gathered that bird is near at hand and if one should chance to fly close at hand it is looked upon as a presage that he will die within the year the white hellebore too is gathered not without difficulty as it is very oppressive to the head more particularly if the precaution has not been used of eating garlic first and of drinking wine every now and then care being taken to dig up the plant as speedily as possible some persons call the black hellebore ectamon and others polyrhizin it purges by stool while the white hellebore acts as an emetic and so carries off what might otherwise have given rise to disease in former days hellebore was regarded with horror but more recently the use of it has become so familiar that numbers of studious men are in the habit of taking it for the purpose of sharpening the intellectual powers required by their literary investigations Carneades, for instance made use of hellebore when about to answer the treatises of zeno drusus too among us the most famous of all the tribunes of the people and whom in particular the public rising from their seats greeted with loud applause to whom also the patricians imputed the marsic war is well known to have been cured of epilepsy in the island of antisyra a place at which it is taken with more safety than elsewhere from the fact of sesamoides being combined with it as already stated in italy the name given to it is veratrum these kinds of hellebore reduced to powder and taken alone or else in combination with radicula a plant used as already mentioned for washing wool act as a sternutatory and are both of them productive of narcotic effects the thinnest and shortest roots are selected and among them the lower parts in particular which have all the appearance of having been cut short for as to the upper part which is the thickest and bears a resemblance to an onion it is given to dogs only as a purgative the ancients used to select those roots the rind of which was the most fleshy from an idea that the pith extracted therefrom was of a more refined nature this substance they covered with wet sponges and when it began to swell used to split it longitudinally with a needle which done the filaments were dried in the shade for future use at the present day however the fibres of the root with the thickest rind are selected and given to the patient just as they are the best hellebore is that which has an acrid burning taste and when broken emits a sort of dust it retains its efficacy they say so long as thirty years chapter twenty two twenty four remedies derived from black hellebore how it should be taken black hellebore is administered for the cure of paralysis insanity dropsy provided there is no fever chronic gout and diseases of the joints it has the effect too of carrying off the bilious secretions and morbid humours by stool it is given also in water as a gentle aperient the proportion being one drachma at the very utmost and four oboli for a moderate dose 
some authorities have recommended mixing scammony with it, but salt is looked upon as more safe. If given in any considerable quantity in combination with a sweet substance, it is highly dangerous. Used in the form of fomentation, it disperses films upon the eyes, and hence it is that some medical men have pounded it and used it for an eye salve. It ripens and acts detergently upon scrofulous sores, suppurations, and indurated tumors, as also upon fistulas, but in this latter case it must be removed at the end of a couple of days. In combination with copper filings and sandarac, it removes warts, and it is applied to the abdominal regions with barley meal and wine in cases of dropsy. This plant is employed for the cure of pituitous defluxions in cattle and beasts of burden, a slip of it being passed through the year and removed at the same hour on the following day. With frankincense also, wax and pitch, or else pisalean, it is used for the cure of itch in quadrupeds. Chapter 23. 23 Remedies Derived from White Hellebore The best white hellebore is that which acts most speedily as a sternutatory, but it would seem to be a much more formidable plant than the black kind, more particularly if you read in the ancient authors the precautions used by those about to take it, against cold shiverings, suffocation, unnatural drowsiness, continuous hiccup or sneezing, the arrangements of the stomach and vomitings, either retarded or prolonged, too sparing or in excess. Indeed, it was generally the practice to administer other substances to promote vomiting, and to carry off the hellebore by the aid of purgative or clisters, while bleeding even was frequently had recourse to. In addition to all this, however successful the results may prove, the symptoms by which it is attended are really most alarming, by reason of the various colors which the matter vomited presents. Besides which, after the vomiting has subsided, the physician has to pay the greatest attention to the nature of the all-vine evacuations, the due and proper use of the bath, and the general regimen adopted by the patient, all of them inconveniences in themselves, and preceded by the terrors naturally inspired by the character of the drug. For one story is that it has the property of consuming flesh if boiled with it. The great error, however, on the part of the ancients was that, in consequence of these fears, they used to give it too sparingly, the fact being that, the larger the dose, the more speedily it passes through the body. Thamitson used to give no more than two drachmae, but at a later period as much as four drachmae was administered. In conformity with the celebrated eulogium passed upon it by Herophilus, who was in the habit of comparing Hellebore to a valiant general, and saying that, after it has set in motion all within, it is the first to sally forth and show the way. In addition to these particulars, there has been a singular discovery made. The hellebore, which, as we have already stated, has been cut with a small pair of scissors, is passed through a sieve, upon which the pith makes its way through, while the outer coat remains behind. The latter acts as a purgative, while the former is used for the purpose of arresting vomiting when that evacuation is in excess. Chapter 24. 88 Observations Upon the Two Kinds of Hellebore In order to secure a beneficial result, due precautions must be taken not to administer hellebore in cloudy weather, for if given at such a time, it is sure to be productive of excruciating agonies. Indeed, 
there's no doubt that summer is a better time for giving it than winter. The body, too, by an abstinence from wine, must be prepared for it seven days previously, emetics being taken on the fourth and third days before, and the patient going without his evening meal the previous day. White hellebore, too, is administered in a sweet medium, though lentils or pottage are found to be the best for the purpose. There has been a plan also lately discovered of splitting a radish and inserting the hellebore in it, after which the sections are pressed together, the object being that the strength of the hellebore may be incorporated with the radish and modified thereby. At the end of about four hours it generally begins to be brought up again, and within seven it has operated to the full extent. Administered in this manner, it is good for epilepsy, as already stated, vertigo, melancholy, insanity, delirium, white elephantiasis, leprosy, tetanus, palsy, gout, dropsy, incipient tympanitis, stomachic affections, cynic spasms, sciatica, quartan fevers which defy all other treatment, chronic coughs, flatulency, and recurrent gripings in the bowels. Chapter 25. To what persons hellebore should never be administered? It is universally recommended not to give hellebore to aged people or children, to persons of a soft and effeminate habit of body or mind, or of a delicate or tender constitution. It is given less frequently too to females than to males, and persons of a timorous disposition are recommended not to take it. The same also in cases where the viscera are ulcerated or tumefied, and more particularly when the patient is afflicted with spitting of blood or with maladies of the side or fauces. Hellebore is applied to externally with salted axle grease to morbid eruptions of the body and superations of long standing. Mixed with polenta, it destroys rats and mice. The people of Gaul, when hunting, tip their arrows with hellebore taking care to cut away the parts about the wound in the animal so slain. The flesh, they say, is all the more tender for it. Flies are destroyed with white hellebore, bruised and sprinkled about a place with milk. Thyriasis is also cured by the use of this mixture. End of section 23